The Mothership Podcast is sponsored by Hawaii Surrogacy Center. Start your family with Hawaii's leading surrogacy agency. on special assignment tonight. Welcome to Mothership. You know, as restrictions are loosening, families are brainstorming now about, hey, what kind of activities can we do with the kids? And lucky for us, Hawaii is such a great place with so many outdoor options. And one of the great top attractions that Oahu is home to is the Honolulu Zoo. You know, I have so many fond memories of my time as a kid going to the zoo. I have a lot of like old pictures of me posing with my parents and my siblings in front of the animal exhibits. And so much has changed since then. And I carried on the tradition, even brought my kids there too. And I'm sure Noli, you have a lot of fond memories too. Same, you know, my kids are older now, but um, I still remember we actually had my firstborn daughters birthday party at the zoo which was so so cool and the kids loved it she's 15 now but I think that was her third birthday and um it was such a great place great place for kids and families and it, animals are um just beautiful you know what yeah. was your favorite animal there Steph Oh my gosh, I love the monkeys because I could relate because at the time I was kind of a rascal. So mm -hmm. <laughs> those monkeys and I, we became really good friends. <laughs> what about you, Knowles? I like the giraffes. They're just beautiful animals and so graceful and um, majestic looking to me. Um, but all the animals are really special there. They've, they've got to be special. Yeah, yeah, it's a great place. And you know, after you are done walking around the zoo, there's also that open area where all the kitties can play and uh, get out more of their energy. So such a great place for families to gather. And you know, the zoo is in the hands of the first female director, who is our guest tonight. That's Linda Santos. So thank you so much, Linda, for joining us on Mothership tonight. Welcome. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know what? We have Dr. Doolittle. We should call you Mrs. Doolittle. <laughs> because after all, you know, you, you know the zoo inside and out. Um, you know, I've heard that you have actually been working there for more than 30 years now. Can you take us on your journey? You started in 1986 and you even, I read that you have to prepare some of the meals, which included like cutting up meat and stuff and feeding it to the animals. Yeah, so I actually started my career in 1986 and it was a very different time and I started working in the commissary and it was it was actually really interesting to get to know what all the different animals ate and to prepare their meals and um, it took some getting used to for carnivore diets, you know, preparing all the different things and walking into a zoo freezer is very different than looking in your freezer at home for sure. So it was exciting. And um, yeah, so 
animal diets is a good place to start because um, it helps you learn all the different feeding guilds and um, it you appreciate you know the animals a lot by what they're eating and how much some of them can consume in a day and it's interesting yeah there's so much that i feel that we as the spectators or the visitors of the zoo don't really know what goes into running a zoo and even taking care of all the animals how many animals call the zoo home now yeah yeah so it 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 fluctuates because animals go in and out we have births and hatches so it changes you know we may go anywhere from 700 to 800 something animals in our collection uh, we move uh, animals in and out when we breed and there's a recommendation to pair an animal with another animal at another zoo so off that animal goes sort of the mail away bride or groom <laughs> to meet its, its match on the other side hopefully success <laughs> so yeah it's 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 interesting how all that works and what we do behind the scenes is a lot different than what people actually think the job is sometimes yeah it's a lot of hard work i mean right yes it's a labor of love zoo animal keeping is um really hard because it's not just playing with the animals and the standards keep getting higher for animal welfare so we not just feed but we have to keep their environment clean we have to meet the standards of what that is so it's a lot of picking up poop breaking feeding scrubbing um, also inspection of your facilities the integrity we're looking for rust peeling paint cracks in concrete and we have to do enrichment, training. Um, training is really important because we want our animals to have a choice, especially when it comes to their medical procedures. And what that means is we want the animal to be a participant. And in the old days, you know, training was not a big deal and you'd have to get out there and net your animal or dart them with a dart gun. And that's a lot of stress on everyone, including the animal. And now we can get the animal to sit on a scale, give us its tail so we can get a blood sample or primates when they're ready, they'll lean into the fence and we can give them an injection. And it's all up to them. It's their choice to participate. So it's a lot less stressful on everyone. Oh. That's, yeah, that's amazing. So for them to behave like that, are they? Do you have a trainer, or they just are used to being in the facility? How do how do they know how to interact with you so well? So part of the keeper's job is to be able to train an animal. We use operant conditioning, and um, we did bring in a trainer um, to work with our team um, to work with different animals because we have some difficult, maybe hard head. <laughs> yeah specimens <laughs> uh, you know they only do it once in a while when they feel like it and so you have to find that novel um, reward and you know it's a special item that they may not normally get or their special keeper that they bond with and so it's really important that the keeper bonds with their animal and that they build that rapport and trust because it's all about trust 
And if an animal trusts you, then they um, will come up to you. They'll sit on the scale. They'll present a body part, uh, you know, like our large carnivores, uh, lions, tigers. Um, we can ask them to get on a scale and um, pull up his tail so that that's on the scale as well. And also to present a body part. So we often have to tell the lion to scoot over so he's closer and he knows to bring his rear end closer. And it starts gradually. So we start poking them with like maybe um, a paper clip or a needle without a actual needle on it. Uh, to get them used to and then we actually poke them with a needle and then we inject maybe some saline or something so they get the feeling of what it's going to be to get an actual injection and once they trust you and you know it's all about them um, having a choice to cooperate for that session. Mm, wow so much so much knowledge and, and things to take into consideration and you know, I've uh, had the opportunity to, to go on a field trip and be uh, one of the parents <laughs> to uh, um, accompany my sons. Um, of course, that was put on hold during COVID. But, um, you know, from what I got to see was that a lot of the workers there really love their jobs. They really have such a bond with the animals. It's really evident. And they love teaching the kids about the animals too. And it's so important, you know, for kids to say like, oh, it's not just like, you know, pretty to look at, but, you know, how do these animals live? What kind of habitat are they more capable of being in? And it's, it's, it's just really educational. Now, now that the restrictions are loosening up, are those kinds of uh, field trips um, going to start up again or even zoo camps? Yeah, we're running zoo camps right now. We obviously have to do them in smaller groups but that's taking place right now. And it was because the groups were smaller, um, we have wait lists in case kids drop out of the program or um, may not be able to do the entire uh, camp session. Uh, it was a very popular thing for kids to be in the camp. They wanna be in a participant every year, our camps are full. So we ask people to book early um, and our keepers are very into conservation education because, you know, we want to make sure our younger generation understand that it's very important. Animals are important, the environment's important, and what we need to do to preserve that for future generations. We don't want our kids to grow up knowing the only way to see an elephant is in a picture book. Yeah. And you know, speaking of animals, um, we just we just mentioned that the Honolulu Zoo welcomed new penguins, right, yeah. to the zoo. Um, can yeah. you tell us about some of the new new critters? And I know that um, you know during COVID, you guys were really busy as well. I mean, I remember uh, new giraffes, you know, and in yeah. the warthogs <laughs> coming in. So we were we were super busy um, during the lockdown time. We we took advantage of. We, we were closed obviously for several months. So we, can, we um, cannot work from home obviously. So during COVID we had to make some really big changes in how we do things and how we social distance and what the staff had to go through as far as PPE because COVID is zoonotic and 
um, if a keeper is asymptomatic, there's that chance that they could pass COVID on to an animal. So um, it was at that point, we had to change a lot of our protocols and suit up when we're working with certain types of animals behind the scenes. Um, but we were very ambitious and we brought in two giraffe during the lockdown and it worked out fine. Um, and uh, we've had the male penguins in before COVID and now that COVID has relaxed and we've regained our accreditation, we're now bringing in the female penguins. Um, they're considered a green SSP or um, species survival plan um, because they're endangered. And so as the girls come in, they're really young, but we're hoping that we'll get um, some future pairings and possibly breeding. Oh, that's that's so neat. I, and then, um, it was funny because uh, I think we mentioned that they make sounds like a donkey. <laughs> yeah, so that species is interesting. They're um, black, um, black-footed penguins, but they're also called African penguins or jackass penguins. And <laughs> it's because their vocalization sounds like the brain donkey. So oh. it's very similar. Wow. So that's how they got their nickname. See, it's these little bits of information that just makes it all the more interesting, you know, I mean, it's, I have never, I didn't know that. Yeah, so Linda, you, you mentioned accreditation, accreditation, right? And, and that's something that you brought forth with the zoo. Um, can you explain like what that means and what that means for the Honolulu Zoo in particular? Yeah, so accreditation is like the highest level of achievement for a zoo. Um, AZA or the American Zoos and Aquariums has really high standards. And to meet those standards, you have to comply with a whole bunch of things besides um, providing meaningful educational experiences, conservation's a big one. You also have to be a participant in AZA programs like the Species Survival Plan. But the biggest thing is animal welfare standards. And so you have to have high standards of animal welfare. That includes medical care, housing, um, social grouping, um, you know, just meeting the needs of the animals while they're in your care. And so our, we did not ever fail the standards of animal welfare. It was more um, the loss of accreditation was the authority lines were muddled of the roles of the city, the zoo and the nonprofit, and they couldn't figure out who was actually running the zoo. <laughs> and so um, we've always had high standards of animal welfare. Uh, we also hold a class C exhibitors license. And that's actually what keeps the zoo's doors open, we have to meet those standards. And those standards are very similar to the AZA standards as well. So we, we hold that license as well. Um, we've never been without that. You know, in terms of, um, and by the way, congratulations, you know, I mean, I know that was quite some time ago, but um, relatively recent, but still, thank you very much for, you know, doing that and, and helping with that. Um, bringing our standards up to par. Um, and 
I wanted to ask you, um, you know, when it comes to Honolulu Zoo being maybe world renowned or, or famous, you know, or, or more outstanding than the other zoos, what would you say makes the Honolulu Zoo um, so special, uh, so unique when compared to the other zoos across the country? Well, isolation for one. <laughs> we're in the middle of the ocean and it's not easy getting things in or out. But we're also in a very tropical climate. We're not a cold climate zoo. Our animals don't have to be housed indoors during the winter for so many months out of the year. Um, we take advantage of natural sunlight here where in some zoos they have to use artificial lighting certain times of the year and we're very green. We have the ability to grow a lot of different plants. And so on the property alone, most of the browse for the animals like giraffes are grown here on the property. So um, we use very little supplements like vitamin E and stuff because they eat all the natural foods that provide that for them. And you know, um, in terms of when is the best time to see the animals because it's, it's kind of tricky because, you know, they're so different and, and they go to bed, you know, during certain times of the day or maybe not always at night. So well, what is a good time to go to actually see, see them active and, you know, out there? So the morning when we first open, obviously, animals are being let out onto exhibits and um, they have their brand new diet out on exhibit and their enrichment. And the heat of the day is probably the worst, especially for cats. Um, they're gonna seek shade and they're gonna lie down and sleep. So people often catch our lions laying, you know, like your house cat upside down with the legs up, snoozing away. So a lot of the animals are inactive during the heat of the day. And towards the end of the day, um, they become active again as it cools down a little bit, then they start foraging and they know dinner's coming and they're food motivated for another snack. And um, we also do twilight tours with our um, education crew. And I hear that they see a lot of things happening during the tours. The animals are really active because it's cooled down quite a bit at that hour. The Twilight Tour sell out? That one's kind of a popular yeah. one? It's very popular, especially after COVID and when we reopened it again. Um, so they're booked, I think, till August, through August. Wow. Can you describe what a Twilight Tour is for, for listeners out there? Is it a camp over or a nighttime field trip? Can you explain a little bit more? So it's just a, a simple tour where um, you're in a small group and you have tour guides and they'll take you through a certain path through the savanna and they'll give you an educational talk about the animal that you're about to see. And normally there's a lot of animals um, active at that time. So you'll get to see the animals moving around and then they'll give you a lot of information about the species of black rhino, for instance, um, you know, more personal information about the animals than you would get on your own and just reading the, the sign that's in front of the exhibit. Mm. Yeah. I know. I've always wondered about that one. I guess I'm going to have to get on it. I set my <laughs> alarm. 
Check the yeah, website. September, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, Linda, um, you have such an extensive background, you know, with animals, uh, especially with your uh, working at the zoo for more than 30 years. Um, but, you know, as a little girl growing up, did you know that you wanted to do this? And did you know that you would one day end up as the director of the Honolulu Zoo? I did not. I, you know, I was, um, I always loved animals. And as a kid, um, I think I was the most annoying to my parents because I would always be touching things that, you know, I'm going to catch this bee or I'll pick up the centipede to play with it. And my mom will probably be like, don't touch that or put that down or, you know, it's like, I was always into everything. And I had a bunch of weird pets. I had the little turtle, the rabbit, you know, anything that was odd. Um, I would play with the green anoles in the yard. And I just loved animals and nature and plants. And I had never dreamed that I would be where I am today, honestly. And it was never my goal to be the zoo director. It just sort of um, fell into place. And uh, I, I applied to work at the zoo and got hired on in 86. And it was a very different time. Um, the zoo was going through a lot of changes. The African savanna was definitely not there. And um, we still had a lot of old school style cages. and. Um, it was exciting because um, I did a lot of work with birds in my career. And so it was exciting times because I remember in the early 80s or late 80s, I should say, maybe around 88, 89, um, there was a, a trip of people going down to Papua New Guinea to bring back some birds of paradise and I was so excited about having to have that in our collection. And um, we brought three species in. And to this day, we um, bred all three species and had lots of offspring. Um, but these are really special birds with ornamental feathers and they dance for their attracting mates and stuff. So I was really excited about working with these species and being able to hand rear the chicks and incubate the eggs and you know we did all of that and I've been very fortunate that I've also worked with a lot of um, endangered and native species. Um, I've done a lot of field work for the state and fish and wildlife in the early years and um, we did a lot of um, uh, sort of capturing and netting, misnetting birds in the forests and um, studied them for avian pox and malaria because mosquitoes are a problem um, with our native um, honey creepers and astralid finches and different species that we have. And um, one of the projects I was excited to work on was the Po'o'uli project. And it was known that there was only three birds left but they were trying to gain information on those birds. So trapping them and, um, you know, getting information off of them. And unfortunately they're extinct now. So, and I, I got to raise a alala on Maui. Um, so that was a lot of fun. Wow. So, you know, what in general draws you to animals? Uh, why, why do you have such a love for animals? 
I find them very interesting and, you know, animals, um, they're just very special to me. I, I, what I think is cute, <laughs> like a bald baby bird to me is very cute. And people would say, oh, that thing's so ugly. And I'm like, it's adorable. <laughs> so it's this attraction to animals and how how smart animals really are. I don't think people give them enough credit. You know, on that note, would you say that you kind of have a, 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 a not a sixth sense, but like a, a, a different kind of sense where you, because of your extensive background with animals and working with them so much, do you think that you do have a really deeper relationship with with animals and you can you can sense you know certain things about them their mood perhaps or what they're trying to tell you or I think most people that work closely with animals have that ability because you're so keen and focused on behavior and once you understand the animal behavior then when something's not right you pick up on that right away so a lot of our keepers, um, you know, your animal behaviorists, where you understand the behavior of your elephant or what's normal versus abnormal and behaviors of a bird, what's normal for that bird, what's not normal for that species. And once you pick up on that, you can't help. Like you'll be walking down the road and you see something and you go, oh, something's wrong with that bird or something's wrong with that dog or cat. It's just ingrained in you that you understand the behavior so you pick up on things really quick mm, that's amazing and you said there's like seven to eight hundred species there and so you know all of them and all of your keepers know all the personalities all the, the you know the, the characteristics of each, each um, species yeah that's amazing it, that's a lot of work <laughs> it's like having a hundred kids <laughs> Did you have any, um, you know, uh, people that you looked up to, whether it be, uh, I know Jacques Cousteau was more of an underwater kind of guy. And um, was it Dr. Jane Good, the one that was in the, yeah. I mean, did you have any, any, um, you know, growing up, did you have any uh, role models that kind of influenced you or that you, I want to be like them? You know, when growing up as a kid, so I'm a lot older, so I'm a product of the 60s. We can't tell on Zoom. Uh, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there was a lot of, you know, like neutral of Omaha and all those different Murray Faller uh, wildlife shows, and I would faithfully watch them you know, on weekends, but um, I was very fond of everything that David Attenborough did. Um, such a favorite naturalist of mine. Yeah. yeah, okay, okay. But did you ever have a dream of, of like, you know, being in the wilderness and, and being able to go on one of those expeditions or observing animals in their natural habitat? Oh yeah, definitely. You know, once I got into it and then getting to actually go into the field, you know, it, it's very exciting, especially some of the places I've been on the island, like the Hanavi Forest. And, and you know, we've done a lot of field work where um, I had the opportunity to also um, do field work on the island of Saipan, Tinian, 
Um, we um, trap birds to translocate them to islands farther north to um, try and preserve uh, these birds that were uh, maybe being exposed or consumed by the brown tree snake. Mm -hmm. So we've done a lot of those types of projects and, you know, you get airlifted by a helicopter and everything he owns in an action packer for so many days <laughs> and dropped into this forest. <laughs> oh, it's like survival out there, survival. Yes, survival. <laughs> It'd be pretty adventurous to, to do what you do, it sounds like. But well, it's, it's yeah. interesting. You know, we'd, we'd pack your gear, your food and everything's in an action packer and you weigh in the helicopter only can take um, so many people at a time and your gear goes in a sling load below the helicopter and wow. then they fly you in and you get dropped off on a landing zone pick up your gear and then you have to hike in <laughs> and set up your camp and oh supplies gosh. and so it's been fun yeah wow yeah you have quite the interesting journey i must say um to the Honolulu Zoo. And if there's anybody out there, um, I don't think that I've, I hear much about, you know, how to pursue a career like that. Um, I mean, what do you study? What, 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 what should you, kinds of experience should you get under your belt? So a lot of the kids nowadays will take um, animal science classes or zoology. You know, that's the basics of, um, the skills you need to understand animal behavior, features, you know, taxonomy, different kinds of things like that, that helps um, students today if they want to become a keeper. But you have to also be very physically fit. Um, I think a lot of people don't realize that um, it's, it's a very laborious task. It's, you know, lifting heavy things, pulp cutting brows for your animals. It, it's, you have to be physically fit to endure um, this over and over. Every day is physical labor. I think that um, one of our reporters did a, like a job a swap where they got to, you know, be in the shoes of a, a zookeeper and, and it is hard. I mean, uh, you guys put them to work. They were like scrubbing the elephant enclosure, you know, yeah. washing it down. Um, yeah, I know at the beginning of this, um, you know, podcast, we mentioned our favorite animals. Do you have a, a favorite zoo animal? That's really difficult. People ask me that all the time. I, I do have um, a favorite animal, and I, I am passionate about our African ground hornbills, but having to choose a favorite animal is like asking a parent to choose their favorite child. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's difficult. <laughs> well, who's your least favorite? No, they're just joking. But earlier you said it was the African what? Horn. I love the African ground hornbill. That's one of my favorite birds. Is that the one that escaped? One of them escaped, yes. Yeah. Yeah. The are still missing. Oh my oh, no. goodness. Oh man. <laughs> oh god. How long has it been missing? Over over a year now. Oh, yeah. Wow. Over a year now. Yeah. Oh. 
Hey, Linda, I also read, um, were you, were you um, raised in Po'o'a Valley? I, I, not in Po'o'a Valley, but I uh, was raised um, right, I guess, on Wailima Street, just down the road from Stevenson. Oh, oh, okay, okay. So did you go to Roosevelt? I did. Yes. Oh, what elementary school did you go to? I went to Po'o'a. Oh, oh, you went to Po'o'a? Oh, okay, yeah. No, because I grew up in Po'o'a Valley, so I was going to say we have something in common, but I know oh, exactly yeah. where I'm I was. I'm on the going. other side. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, right on, right on. Well, you know, as I'm we look ahead to the... Side. What was that? I'm on the other side of the stream. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. I, I, I know. I know that. I know. I, I love Po'o'a Valley. It's such a great place. So close to town, so convenient. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, as we look ahead to the future, and um, you know, we we went through COVID, and there were a lot of lessons learned there. Was um, there any valuable lessons that uh, surfaced, um, you know, in going through COVID, and and do you see that changing uh, the zoo's operations in any way moving forward? Yeah. So you know, we have to look at um, how are we going to prevent COVID. Um, from our animals getting COVID. And I know a lot of zoos are testing out the, the zoitis vaccinations. Um, and we're hoping at some point that that's something that is working and maybe we can start vaccinating some of our animals. But for now, our staff will continue to work with um, PPE anytime they're dealing with cats, um, dogs, uh, non-human primates, especially, they're very susceptible to um, COVID. And we don't know that animals can give it to us, but we do know that we can give it to the animals. Um, we haven't heard of any animal dying who's gotten COVID in a zoo, but they do get sick from it and then they need supportive care. So that would be really difficult um, to have animals go through that. So it was looking at how do we design things better in the for future? You know, we know that we have some glass furniture exhibits and do we go that route um, because there's no transfer through the glass of droplets, um, you know, and or do we need to worry about that at all once we figure out if they can get vaccinated. So there's a lot of unknown still, and we will be obviously researching and looking into that. But for now, we're still taking precautions, especially around the non-human primates and um, cats. Mm -hmm. But in terms of uh, hours and you know when the zoo's open, uh, is all yeah. that now back to normal now? So we're still on the 10 o'clock in the morning opening. We're not um, looking to change opening earlier. It seems to work out better for um, getting animals onto exhibit um, when the time people are coming in. And uh, we're closing our doors at um, four when we used to stay open till about five. And, um, you know, the zoo empties out pretty maybe around three-ish. So we figured that that hours are working for us better and it gives us more time for cleaning and making sure everything's ready for the next day. Are you folks in need of any volunteers? Yeah, so 
we we have docents right now and we're always looking for volunteers um, and they can get on the website for the Honolulu Zoo Society and click on the volunteer link if anyone's interested in becoming a docent or just a volunteer to help out in different areas. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, right? It is a lot of fun. And hard work. <laughs> hard work. <laughs> but a lot of fun. And you get to learn a lot while you're here. We have different things happening at the zoo all the time. So. All right. Well, you know, we always love to end our podcast with an inspirational quote, and we're looking forward to hearing one from you. <laughs> so I don't have a lot of inspirational quotes, but one that I like is, every sunset brings the promise of a new dawn, and we have the ability to make change and better ourselves. Who's that one by? I don't know who it's by, honestly. Um, I read it somewhere a long time ago in a book and it stuck with me because it sort of inspired me to um, better myself, you know, to make changes and that every day is a new day, you wake up and what are you going to do today to change yourself, to better yourself? That's a great reminder. That's a great quote. I love that, Linda. Yeah, there's always room for improvement. Always That's right. here on out. Well, yeah, thanks so I much. Something every day. <laughs> yeah. And we learned a lot from you too. And, you know, we look forward to returning to the zoo as well and, and, and seeing what's new and visiting the new penguins and all the other guys out there. But thanks so much, Linda Santos, for joining us on Mothership. It was great having you and getting to know well, you. Thank you for having me. I yeah. had a lot of fun. Thank you. Keep doing the great job you're doing and all your staff and employees too. Thank you for doing what you're doing. Hard work. Oh, thank you. They work really hard. So, yeah. All right. So, thank you so much to Miss Doolittle, our Linda Santos, <laughs> yes, the uh, first female director of the Honolulu Zoo, and keep doing all the great things that you're doing out there. Thank you so much for all that you do for our community, and uh, we can't wait to visit again. All right. Take care. All right. Thanks so much. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yes, we're gonna break up and die.